We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Oh God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome everybody to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I'm so glad to be able to share this moment with you today. Don't overlook a moment. This is a moment that we have together and with God, and there is no telling what God might say to us tonight. Can I get an amen on that? Also, hello online church friends. We're so glad that y'all are checking us out tonight. Please leave a comment. Let us know you're there. We love to know where you're from. Leave us a state or a country where you're at. We love to worship with you. And of course, you in-person worshipers, you guys, you just always amen me frequently. I just love it. I love you guys. I love to preach with you guys. Can I tell you that? I really love to preach with you. There is something about preaching with people that love God. There is something about preaching to people that love God's word and they're excited about it. Is that the church I'm in tonight? Y'all excited about God's word? God is good. Excellent. Are any kids in the room and make sure all our kids have our sermon notes. And if you are not a kid, but you would like a sermon note, we've got them at the info, de- info desk. Somebody can get one for you. We love note takers. Let's hear it for the note takers. We are in the seventh week of our long story short series. Tonight, we're going to be talking about King David and a famous battle he fought with a guy named Goliath. That's right. That's it. Goliath, right? But first, we got to fill in a timeline. We've had to fast forward a little bit to talk about uh, David, so let's bring us up to speed. Last week, we made an exodus from what nation, from what country? Egypt, with a guy named Moses. Very good. Moses dies. Spoiler alert. Moses dies Doesn't make it into the promised land. That's a whole nother sermon. But he leaves them with God's commands for worship and life. He actually leaves them with God's word. And God's word is all that they need to make it to the promised land. Take over the promised land and leave a good life. Because that's how powerful the word of God is. So a guy named Joshua then leads them into the promised land. And they take the promised land. Battle after battle. And this becomes the nation of Israel. That's the promised land. And this is the fulfilling, the promise that God made to a man named Abraham. Abram. And so this all ties together. This is the fulfillment of that promise. All right. And there's a moment where then Joshua dies. And so they're looking around for leadership. And God, God uses judges, people judge and there's the whole book of judges and that's people judging for themselves how to live sometimes they judge according to God's plan sometimes not so much and that's one of the messiest books in the Bible because of that and then a guy named Samuel speaks everybody say Samuel you've got priests and prophet in one person priests God used priests and God uses prophets and Samuel is both of them, and he's also a judge, and he leads people through this chaotic time, and he's a good dude. He is one of the heroes of the Bible. But then comes a desire for a king. 
the people of Israel are in this nation and they're like, you know what? I wish we had ourselves a king. First Samuel verse chapter eight, verse five. They said to him, being Samuel, you are old. That's rude. They just start right there. You are old, all right? Gosh, this verse speaks to me so much. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Not that part. That part. All right. But your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. They wanted a king, but somebody tell me why they wanted a king. Because everybody else has a king. We want one too. Now, Israel was called to be different from other nations. Abraham, completely different, right? Moses, that was completely different. You look at the life of Jacob. Now, that's a different kind of life. God calls people to be different. In the New Testament, Peter, now you talk about a different kind of guy, right? And Paul, right? And John, they're all kind. Of, and then Jesus, that's about as different as you can get. Can I tell you, God wants you to be different, okay? So they were called to be different in this. Everybody else had a king that was a man, but they were to have a king who was God. God was to be their king. And they were to show the world that it was better to make God your king. That was one of the points that God had given them all of this. They were supposed to show people that and they, spoiler alert, fail to do it. They don't show people that it's better to have God as your king. Instead, they desire a man to be their king. Israel wanted to be like everyone else rather than be the uniquely different people God called them to be. You listen, God has called you to be different. He's called you to respond to conflict differently. Not to curse people out, but to love them and be patient to them. That's different. And God's called his people to be just like that. He's called his people to be different in that they desire righteousness more than what they can buy on Amazon. My gosh, recently we had a prime day. My gosh, if that wasn't materialistic greed, it's like, I just got to buy stuff because it's on sale. I got People were desiring. You are called to be different. Listen, you can go buy your stuff on, on Amazon Prime, but you're called to desire the righteousness of God above gold and silver and Tesla cars and iPhones. You're called to honor your leader's but love God above all. And that's different. And you're called to, well, you talk about different, y'all. Don't leave the church when I say this. But you're called to serve others above yourself. You're called to forgive others for their sins against you. You talk about different. We're called to be different. God has called you that way. But like Israel, we often want to fit in and be like everyone else. Everybody say, tall King Saul. So they ask God, they ask Samuel, Samuel goes to God, 
And God gives them exactly what they want. God gave the people the exact kind of king that they wanted. God hand-selected a king that the people actually would want. He was tall. He was good-looking. And he was strong. When Saul was anointed king of Israel, not only was he good-looking on the outside, but it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied. So that's 1 Samuel 10 and 10. That's not only is he good looking on the outside, but God even gave him a portion of his spirit that he would be used by God in the supernatural way of, of prophecy. And all of Israel was so thrilled that Saul was their king. Man, this guy's got it on the outside and on the inside. He's got the goods. He can prophesy and he doesn't look so bad in a crown. He, he looks pretty good. But Saul was the people's choice. We got an awards ceremony that comes every year. It's called the People's Choice Awards. These are who the people choose, right? This, he wins the People's Choice Award for king. But he was not actually God's choice. I want you to get this. He was the people's choice, but not God. God's choice. So when he hand selects Saul, it's not his choice, but the people's choice. Say amen if you understand. All right. Way back in Genesis 49. Oh, wait. We're in the book of 1 Samuel. For a second. Go back to Genesis 49. This is the ending of Genesis, right? There was a prophecy about a king uh, and about a Messiah. And Jacob, also known as Israel, while he's still in the land of Egypt. How far back is this? This is before they become slaves in Egypt. So now we're back that far back. That verse says this, Genesis 49. This is a section where he is prophetically giving blessings to his children. And he gives this blessing. He says, the scepter will not depart from, somebody say it, Judah. So one more time, Judah. The scepter will not depart from, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until whom, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. The scepter refers to a king's power. It says that power will belong to the tribe of Judah and that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah and he will be the king because it really belongs to him in the first place. This kingship really belongs to the Messiah in the first place. Now listen, that's thousands of years ago. That is definitely hundreds of years ago before our story tonight in 1 Samuel. But it lays out very clearly Judah is important when it comes to the kingship and when it comes to the Messiah. Since week one, we've been talking about the promise of the seed of Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Y'all got to know that. Genesis 3, 15 talks about the promise of the seed. And this is that same promise now, but now it's describing it a little fuller. It's now describing that this seed, that this offspring, that this child, that this Messiah would be king. Saul 
was not from the tribe of Judah. He was not from the tribe of Judah. But from the tribe of Benjamin. There's 12 tribes here, right? He is not from the tribe of Judah. Yet, he is the first king of Israel. Interesting, right? Look at that. What's going on here? Saul was the people's choice, but he was never, ever, ever God's choice to be king. According to the very prophecy that we just read. Can I tell you this? God's choice is better. God's choice is better. I want to tell you, if you are unpopular with people, but popular with God, that's good. You listen to me. If you're unpopular with people, but you are popular with God, I want to hang out with you because blessings going to flow in your life. But if you reverse it, if you are popular, unpopular, if you, sorry, I'm getting all confused. If you're popular with people, but unpopular with God, I don't want to follow you in life. Do you understand? What's it better? It is better to be popular with God than to be popular with people. We got young people all over the place. They're in school. They're starting their careers. They're all over the place. And there is this siren song to be popular on the internet, to be popular in your school, to be popular amongst your peers. And we care more about what other people think about us than what we should, than we should, and we should care about what God thinks about us and what God says about us. Saul's the people's choice. He was popular with the people, but he was not God's choice. Saul disobeys God and God rejects and then God, sorry, God regrets and then God rejects. Say regret. Listen, wouldn't it be terrible if God regretted calling you? If God regretted giving you something? First he regrets, and then it's as bad as that is. Then God rejects. I'm telling you, God can call you and then reject you. It's possible. 1 Samuel 15, 11, I regret, God says, that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. I clearly spoke to him what he should do. He didn't do it. Now I regret being with him. Verse 26, God says this, you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Somebody say regret and then say reject. Even while Saul sits on the throne and wears the crown, he is rejected as king by God. Nobody else knows it. He walks out of the palace. People still go, it's the king. Hail the king. Everybody's like, oh, we love Saul. My goodness, Saul, give us another speech. We can't get enough of King Saul. But he's already rejected. He's already done. He's a dead man walking and nobody knows it. He's still the people's choice, but he is completely rejected by God. 
God has already made a choice. And who he wants to be king of Israel. This is God's choice. Who God wants to choose is a young boy that's sitting in the field. Singing praises to God. And he's doing the very humble work of shepherding sheep. Shepherds play a big role in the Bible. As you read through your Bible, pay attention to shepherds. See, that's what's so funny about it because no one paid attention to shepherds. Shepherds were a low-class job. Nobody said, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. No, you were a shepherd because your dad says, go out in the field and be a shepherd. And you're like, yeah, dad, I'll go do that. That's why you were a shepherd. Listen, hey, you got to not talk on the front row, buddy. Here's some shepherds. Abel. Remember Abel? We've already talked about him. He's a shepherd. The people uh, of Israel were shepherds. And the Egyptians found shepherds detestable. And that's why they had to live in the area of Goshen. Genesis 46 talks about. Now God is choosing a shepherd as king. Jesus, we know, is himself a good shepherd. The chief shepherd. And shepherds are invited to the birth of Jesus. Over and over and over, shepherds come in to the story of God. The lowly calling of shepherd is a high calling in God's kingdom. The the job of shepherd is not the people's choice, but it is God's choice. In 1 Samuel 16, God tells Samuel to go to a small town named Bethlehem. Wait, does that... Does that name sound familiar? Do we sing about that city in December sometimes? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Why? Why do we sing about Bethlehem? It is the very city where Jesus is born. Well, Samuel is called to the city of of Bethlehem because he, there is a king present there and nobody knows it. Doesn't that sound like the Christmas? Am I talking about the Christmas story or the David story? There's a city of Bethlehem. People are being called there from a distance because there's a king there, but nobody knows it. That's the story of Jesus, but it's the story of David. Right, Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of David's birth and the city of Jesus' birth. And Samuel was instructed to go to Bethlehem, to go to the house of Jesse, and that God has selected one of his sons to be king. It was a big deal for the priest, for the prophet, for the judge, Samuel, to come to your house. Let's read about 1 Samuel 16, 4. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? I got to just tell you, Samuel might have been a bad dude, guys. (laughs) Do you come in peace? He's an old man. He's like, you're not coming to start fights, are you? Because we are not equipped to fight you, dude. Samuel's a bad dude. I love Samuel. But they're like, they're scared of Samuel. Okay. Verse 5. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Samuel is in the very home of Jesse. And he is meeting the sons of Jesse. And one of these sons is going to be the next king 
of Israel. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Somebody say Eliab. Oh, doesn't that sound like a king's name? Eliab. And he thought this. Samuel thought this. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He's saying what? This, this has got to be the one. Look at this guy, Eliab. That's going to be him. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. If you get anything from this sermon, here's the sentence. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. The people's choice, they look at for certain things. But God does not look at the things that people look at. What does he look at? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, say it louder. The Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse calls Abinadab. He's like, oh my God, Samuel's not buying Eliab. Maybe, oh, stupid Eliab. I told him he should have brushed his teeth. And so he sends in Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. So I guess he might be doing his strut. I don't know what he's, he's like, he's walking. I don't, I can't strut. I don't know what that, I just look like I've had a stroke or something. But he's walking, he's trying to impress Samuel. He's walking in front of him. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse, you're for two. Jesse then had Shema. He's like, Shema, you get in there right now and don't do that stupid strut your brother just did. And so Shema comes in. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this Now, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Seven of them. At this point, Jesse's sweating. He's like, what is this guy looking for? I've given him the biggest, the strongest, the best looking, the most educated. I've given him all of my sons. I've given him seven of my sons. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. You are 0 for 7, Jesse. So he asked Are these all of your sons? Is this everybody? What a weird moment. Is this everybody? Samuel knows that God said that one of the sons of Jesse would be king. But he has met all seven of these sons. And God has not chosen any of them. Now I want you to pay attention. Pay attention to Samuel here. Learn the faith of Samuel. Because Samuel does not question God. You and me, we might question God. God, you told me to come to Bethlehem. You told me to go to a house. Is there another Bethlehem I'm not aware of? Is there another Jesse I'm not aware of? I've met seven of his sons. You start to second guess yourself, right? When God tells you to do something and it just doesn't happen like you expect it to, you start second guessing yourself. I want you to get this. Samuel does not do that. Look what he does. Samuel does not question God, but instead questions Jesse. He says, are these all your sons? 
He doesn't say, God, have you made a mistake? He says, Jesse, are you holding out on me? <laughs> Samuel does not think God made a mistake. Oh. Too often I've thought God has made a mistake. Well, God told me to do this. I just don't know. No, listen, God has not made a mistake. Jesse is the one who has made a mistake. First Samuel 16, 11, Jesse goes, well, there is, there is the youngest. Him? You want to meet him? Jesse answered, he's tending sheep. He didn't think high enough of David to even invite him to this important meeting with the priest, the prophet, the judge, Samuel. He said, surely it's not this one, right? Jesse and his family didn't think highly of David. David was not the people's choice. He was not the choice of his father. He was not the choice of his brothers. He was not popular with them, but you know who he was popular with? He was popular with God. God said, I have my eye on a guy on the back of a pasture. And he sings me songs of praise every day. And he's obedient to his father. And he loves me. And Samuel, I want you to go meet this guy. David was popular with God. And David walks in. There's a cool moment where Samuel says, go get the boy and nobody sit down. I, I've always wondered, what's that about? He's like, don't even sit down. We are going to stay standing until this kid shows up. Why? Because we want to be standing when the king walks in. <laughs> David walks in and God says, that is the one. That is the one I choose to be king. Samuel anoints him to be the king of Israel right then and there. Even while Saul is back in Jerusalem on the throne. He's sitting on the throne as king. I want to remind you, God's choice is better. Compare people's choice and God's choice real quick. Saul was the choice of the people because of his outward appearance. The older son of Jesse, they were all present. Why? Because of their outward appearance. 1 Samuel 13 and 4. But now your kingdom will not endure. This is what Saul delivers to. This is what Samuel delivers to Saul. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Do you see a pattern forming here? God is looking at the heart. God has sought a man after what? The heart of the man. God's choice is not about the outward appearance. But his choice is about the heart. God looks at the people. Look out the the bougie, the bougie outward appearance. That's something they say online. I don't, I don't even know what it's about. Obviously. All right. God says, I'm going to seek out a man. This is where we say David is a man after God's own heart. That is this verse right here. Okay. 
it, there's a lot to this, but basically the best way I understand this language here is, is to mean this. I'm going to search for a guy according to his heart. I'm going to look for the heart of a person and I'm going to call that person. First Samuel 16 and 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Now this is three chapters later. He's talked, he's already told Saul, you're rejected. God's looking for somebody with a heart. Then, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. This is when Eliab passes in front of him. Don't look on the outward. Don't look on his what? His appearance or his height. Doesn't that sound like Saul again? Because what? Saul is head and shoulders above every person in Israel. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things people look at, but looks on that. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. God's choice is all about the heart. Listen, we have these things in our bathrooms. They're usually right in front, above our mirror, above our sink. It's called a mirror, right? Sometimes you have these things. You can, you, they, they get so close, you can see the pores on your face. They, like, we look into these things, right? You, you, the faces you make to that mirror in the morning while you're flossing, right? I don't know what it is, but when I comb my hair, I, like, I look so stupid. My mouth just opens. Have you ever caught yourself looking stupid in the mirror? But you, you're looking in the mirror trying to tend your appearance, and you should do this. You should do this, right? And you should do it daily. We do it all the time, but how, how often are we concerned with our heart? There isn't a room in your house devoted to the appearance of your heart, really. Right? What do you do if you want to look at, at your heart and, and you want to make sure that your heart is the heart that God chooses? What do you do there? I want to tell you that the next chapter is all about outward appearance versus heart. The next chapter is this well-known story about a, guy, a giant named Goliath. We go straight from chapter 16 where David's anointed to chapter 17, where David faces Goliath. A name, the name Goliath, does anybody know what the name Goliath means? I didn't know before studying for this lesson. The name Goliath means splendor. His very name is about outward appearance. About splendor, majesty, magnificence. You go, you see him and you go, wow. That's what Goliath means. Goliath was a giant killing machine. There are arguments over his height. Some texts say that he's nearly seven feet tall. And some texts say he was well over nine feet tall. No need to get into that. What you can get from that is the dude was tall. The dude could have rocked the NBA. He was a fierce warrior who terrified all that faced him. Samuel 17, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. You got to be a bad dude if you're coming out all by yourself in the middle of a field and you start yelling at another army all by yourself. That's what he does. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to fight, come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, 
You will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Saul and all the Israelites, they were scared. No one wanted to face Goliath. And Goliath did this for 40 days. Every day they were awoken by the sound of this giant. There he is again, yelling, taunting us. None of us are brave enough to face him. But I guess on that 41st day, David came to that valley. Listen, what brought David to that valley? Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. All right. What brought David to... Now, we could talk about prophetic fulfillment. We could talk about the sovereign will of God. But the Bible tells us it's a very ordinary task that brings David to the battlefield. David was bringing food to his brothers. Grain, bread, and cheese. He was bringing cheese sandwiches to his brothers. Does that change your picture? Here he is in a picnic basket. Right? That's, I want you to get this picture. He doesn't come with the sword. He comes with a sandwich. Does God call different people? Oh, you, you and I, if we were drawing it up, we would arrive in a tank, right? We'd have drive, we'd be like, follow me if you want to live. And that's how we would do it. But God brings a kid who doesn't belong there. He brings a youngster with a sandwich to face a giant. Oh, God, you are so different. That should actually remind us of Joseph, who sets out on his destined journey by bringing food to his brothers. Serving others is the best way to find the will of God. You listen to me right now for one moment. If you want to find the will of God in your life, start serving in your church. I guarantee you, you will find the will of God in your life. You'll come really close to the will of God. You'll find blessing in your life. Start serving others. The worst way to find the will of God is to just self-serve yourself. Best way to find the will of God is start serving others. Start loving others. Bring a sandwich to others. Oh my goodness. David hears the shouts of Goliath. And it doesn't take him 40 days to do something. He says, I'll fight that boy. Come on. Let's do this. And verse 17, verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. You guys, y'all, this is a kid, right? This is a teenage boy. He's like, listen, I don't want you to worry anymore, king. Fierce warriors, ready for battle. I don't want, I see y'all, don't want you to worry more. I'll just go fight them, okay? How about that? That's what's happening here. That's what's happening. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against him. Go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Saul is looking at the outward appearance of David and says 
you can't possibly fight Goliath. And David testifies to Saul. I love this part. He testifies to him. Sometimes you just got to back you just got to back up what God is able to do with a personal testimony. He he starts telling Saul about how God delivered him in a fight against a bear. I didn't think I was up against a bear either, but God saw me through that. And then another time I was just out on the backside of the wilderness. I was playing my harp and the next thing I know, there's a lion. But God delivered a bear and a lion into my hands. Let me tell you, my God's able to deliver this giant into my hands. But Saul is still focused on the outward appearance. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David. He dresses David in what? In his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to it. I'm not used to this. He says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. Was he used to a staff? Where was that being used all the time? Shepherding. And he took five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's back. He's taken. He is taking his calling with him. When you receive a calling, take it with you. Take it with you and go fight. Let me tell you, here's what's crazy. He's also called to be a king at this point. But he takes that humble calling that God gave him in the beginning. Are you still walking in that calling God gave you in the beginning? And he takes that very humble thing. That thing that other people scoff at. The, people that, the things that's not the people's choice, but God's choice. And then with the sling in his hand. He approached the Philistine. Oh, I feel the Lord. Can I tell you, stop trying to look like other people. Just be yourself. Be the person God has called you to be. You don't have to wear a kingly robe, his tunic. You don't have to wear his helmet. You don't have to put on, you don't, stop letting other people dress you. Stop letting the internet tell you what is cool for you. Stop, tell, stop letting those things speak to you because all those things are focused on the Outward appearance. And the heart is more important than the outward appearance. David approaches the giant. And what do you think the giant focuses on? The outward appearance. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over. He looks him over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. By the way, I believe in the language here mentions that David is a redhead. It's true. The word ruddy is used, meaning redhead. And he said to David, this is the Philistine. He says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He has these other gods. He's serving like Baal. And he's serving uh, the, what? Dagon, the fish god. And so he's calling out these names. And he says, in the name of Dagon, I curse you. 
In the name of Baal, I curse you. There's one problem. though. Those names have no power. Those names have no authority. Those names can't do a creative miracle. But the name of the Lord is a strong, mighty tower. And the righteous run into it and are saved. The name of the Lord heals the sick. The name of the Lord raises the dead. The name of the Lord can cast out a demon and every army. Oh my gosh. Wrong name, Goliath. Somebody say wrong name. Oh, somebody tell me the name above every name for a moment. Somebody tell me what's the name that we ought to be calling on. Oh, it's the name of Jesus. My goodness. So he's cursing David by his gods in verse 44. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Outward appearance to the giant. David looks like a boy. Looks like an easy win. Oh, he doesn't understand the heart of this young man at all. David is not concerned with the outward appearance of Goliath, however. Everybody else on Israel's side is very concerned about the outward appearance of Goliath. They talk about the size of his weaver's beam. It's weird stuff going on in the Bible here. David, exactly what is a weaver's beam? That's for another time. David is not focused on the outward appearance of Goliath. David's focused on God. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, Goliath is like, I know how to end this fight. I've ended this fight many times. He's moving closer to attack him. David does something really different. Most guys are like backing up a little. Oh, here he comes. You ever see a giant run? Scary. But David doesn't fall back. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. It says the stone sunk into it. Everybody just do a forehead test. All right. I'm hoping your finger's not sinking into your forehead. This dude had a forehead that looked pretty normal. And then suddenly there is a stone sunk into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Now listen, there's another important part. David makes sure that the battle's over. David makes sure that the giant is dead. He takes Goliath's sword. He cuts off the head of the giant and he keeps his sword. The Philistine army sees what just happened And they want no part of it. They start running in fear. David is an immediate national hero. People start immediately like bursting out in songs about David. And Saul is instantly jealous of David. And he purposes in his heart, I'm going to kill David. David spends many years running for his life because of King Saul. And it's actually a really difficult part of his life. I think if you asked him, he would say this season of his life was way 
harder and more difficult than his encounter in the valley of Elah. He was running for his life against the king of Israel. But God had given David a promise. And it wasn't just David's promise. God had also given Judah a promise. And it wasn't just Judah, was it? No, God had already given Abraham a promise. And it wasn't just Abraham, it was also Eve and Adam had already received. It's the same promise. It's the same promise. David was anointed king by the prophet Saul, Saul, by the prophet Samuel, not Saul. David trusted the promise of God and Saul, because of his rebellion against God and his word, he dies in battle. And later, David becomes the king of Israel. Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, 12. God says these words. When your days are complete. And David, when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. All right. So now in the same line of these promises we just talked about, Eve, Abram, Judah, is now this promise and it lines up with it for David. It's now a promise of an everlasting throne that the Messiah will not only be king, but he'll be king forever. God promises David that he will establish his throne forever. David will have a descendant who will build a house for the name of God. This was amazing promise that ultimately could only be fulfilled by the Messiah. The kings that followed after David, the first king to follow David, his descendant, Solomon. And Solomon did build a house for God. And he put God's name on it. But that wasn't it. Because Solomon did not have an everlasting throne. How do we know he didn't have an everlasting throne? Because his son is Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is like king for like five minutes and loses 10 of the 12 tribes. There's another guy named Jeroboam. With quick note, Rehoboam and Jeroboam are not brothers. That's not twin names. They're just two guys. Rehoboam. Loses the kingdom and now suddenly there's two kings over Israel. And you've got a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And they don't get along and they're all messing up. And they owe it all to their kings. Their kings are garbage. Their kings are a hot mess. Their kings are problems. Wait, God told them in the beginning. Said, I'll give you a king, but it's not going to be what you want. And that's being fulfilled right here. Because God's choice is better. God with your king is always better. It got worse and worse for Israel. Because the kings got worse and worse for Israel. Until one of the kingdoms falls. And the other kingdoms falls. And until they have no king. There is no king. And then suddenly there's no Israel. And suddenly there's no house of God. The very house that Solomon built is gone. And everybody goes well. 
Solomon didn't fulfill that prophecy. I wonder where the king will be. I wonder when we'll see this king who establishes the throne of David forever and builds a kingdom and a house for the name of the Lord. What happened in Israel is that kings became focused on outward appearance rather than a heart for God. And eventually Israel's defeated by a nation we'll talk about very soon called Babylon. Everyone say Babylon. And they actually once again live in slavery. Just like they lived in Egypt. And it looked like the throne of David would not be everlasting at all. But let's, let's jump to the end. What are we supposed to make of this story? The story is all about Jesus. Do you see it? Not at me if you see it. You see it? This story is all about Jesus. That prophecy that Jacob gave about the scepter of Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That prophecy about a son of David building a house for God and establishing the kingdom of ever, forever. Jesus is a son of David. He is from Judah and he is from David. The angel told Mary, this is in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Boom. It's all about Jesus. Jesus will one day come back to earth and will be king of earth forever. Jesus will be the fulfillment of the everlasting throne of David. Quick. Israel has a prime minister, but they don't have a king. Israel has a nation, but they don't have a temple. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to provide both things. Real spoiler alert. Jesus is the temple. He is the very presence of God. Israel exists right now. but They don't have those things. Well, let's talk about the heart of Jesus. The story of David focuses on the heart and not the outward appearance. And this points us to Jesus. What was amazing about Jesus was not his outward appearance. Nobody was like, wow. Jesus sure is good looking. That is nowhere in your Bible. In fact, the opposite is in your Bible. Isaiah 53 and 2 says this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. No one called him Goliath. Splendor. No one called him magnificent and beautiful. Nowhere in your Bible does that happen in the earthly ministry of Jesus. What was amazing for Jesus was his heart. The Gospels constantly talk about his heart. It says something like this. And his heart was moved with compassion. And his heart was moved and he began to weep. And because his heart was moved, he reached out his hand and he healed. And he took people by the hand and he called them by name. If you look on the outward appearance of Jesus, 
I want to tell you, you would never think twice. But if you ever see the heart of Jesus, you'll never forget it. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Here's what I want you to consider as we are drawing close to an altar time. Y'all want to talk to God today? I hope you do. I want you to talk to the Lord today. My question for you is this. Are you focused on the outward appearance or the heart? I want to tell you, God is focused on your heart today. God looked at the heart of David and said, now that's a guy I can use. Have you been focused on outward appearance? Do you think that you are qualified or disqualified according to your outward appearance? There are some people, even in Christianity, there are some people in Christianity who think that we are truly blessed by God and you can prove it because of the car we're driving and because of the clothes we're wearing. You gotta be blessed. Look at, look at the suit they are wearing. It doesn't work that way. That's outward appearance. That is outward appearance. Let's focus on our heart today. What do you think your heart looks like to God? I want you to ask that. What does my heart look like to God? I want to close with these words from David. This is a psalm he wrote. Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24. Search me God. And know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Look deep down inside me, God. Know my heart and my mind. Verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Can you make that your prayer today? These altars are open right now. I want to pray with people today. God wants to call you today. God wants to use you today. These altars are open. Come on. Y'all don't have to wait any moment. Come talk to the Lord. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for our friends online. Then when I open my eyes, I want to see people to pray with. And I want us to worship God. And I want us to have our hearts clean before Him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for my friends watching and listening online. God, Lord, touch my friends, God. Lord, I want you to touch their hearts, God. Lord God, I come against the worry and the fear about what we look like. Lord, in Jesus' name, give us clean hearts. Minister to us on the inside. Lord, get a hold of our minds and our anxious thoughts. Do powerful things in us, Jesus. Lord, like you called David, I want you to call us. Lord, like you defeated Goliath, God, I want you to defeat our giants, Father. In the name of Jesus, we're asking you to move and to minister, God. Lord, we're asking you to be on the scene, God. We turn everything over to you. Take our hearts. Search them. Test them. They are yours. My heart belongs to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's talk to God in this house. Let's worship Him. It's all about you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.